This is an RNZ podcast. Today, New Zealand again has no new cases of COVID-19. It takes the combined total of confirmed and probable cases to 1,504. There are no further deaths. In News Talk ZB Sport, Blues coach Leon McDonald. Last Monday, the news of another day with no new cases of COVID-19 only just sneaked into that bulletin on News Talk ZB at 1pm before they went to the sport. Such is the progress that's being made controlling the spread of coronavirus so far. But earlier in the same bulletin, there was this. If it's less than one, the disease is shrinking. The current EDR is 0.4, down from more than two at the start of the outbreak. Genetic testing also shows only one strain has been identified, which links all infected farms. Now, news of disease transmission rates and testing is also pretty familiar stuff in the bulletins these days as well, but that report was nothing to do with COVID-19. The country is on track to wipe out Mycoplasma bovis. Government and industry committed to a 10-year, $880 million eradication program two years ago. 232 farms have now been cleared of the disease and there are only 17 active properties. Joey Dwyer has more. Agriculture Minister Damien O'Connor says a sign... Earlier that day, the Agriculture Minister and the Prime Minister had both been talking up the progress in that battle against Mycoplasma bovis and their call back in 2017 to go hard and go early on that too, as Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern put it. And as with that approach to COVID-19, that call, which greenlit a huge cull of cattle and was budgeted to cost nearly $900 million over 10 years, had some pretty determined opponents. Many in the industry argued it may not work and monitoring and managing the illness was actually the best way. And some in the media were pretty convinced of that as well. Uh, Good luck on this because no one else has got rid of M. bovis in the world. But MPI, they know what they're doing, said no farmer ever. Farmers are devastated and say MPI has been utterly unprepared and as responsive as a dodo. TV3's Duncan Garner back in 2017 who told his listeners and viewers murdering cows won't work and he blamed the Ministry for Primary Industries for mishandling the disease. But MPI's boss Roger Smith had back at the time in an article for the media. Once Duncan Garner has taken the time to do his homework, perhaps he would like to apologise to our staff who work day and night to protect our country from unwanted pests and diseases. Now, Whether the disease is eradicated or not, tracing cattle and their movements is still crucial, not just for the animals and the farms, but for the economy, another echo of coronavirus in 2020. Dairy farmers were given that message two years ago and it matters again right now because tomorrow is moving day, the day farmers start moving stock to new grazing pastures and new share milking contracts. And that's why this advert ran on News Talk ZB on Monday just after that encouraging news about Mycoplasma bovis. Are you a share milker moving your herd to another farm this moving day? You'll need to update your Nate and TB free records. To do this, call the Osprey Contact Centre first on 0800 482 463. Remember, a new farm means a new Nate location number. NATE is short for National Animal Identification and Tracing, and that's the scheme that was set up as an essential biosecurity backstop back in 2012. But when Mycoplasma bova struck five years later, it became clear quickly that many farmers just weren't complying with it, and some were flouting the rules by actually selling animals for cash with no record of the sale at all. 
Even in the year after Mycoplasma bovis eradication efforts began, the Ministry for Primary Industries said that roughly 40% of 14,500 dairy farms had not registered herds come moving day two years ago. Now, farmers who did see the need for the rules were furious with those who didn't, among them Richard Lowe, the host of the MediaWorks radio show Rural Exchange. So if you're sending animals off to graze this week, next week, and you haven't got your compliance as far as NAITS and, and animal health declarations done, you need your ass kicked and your animals should be taken off your damn there. Tell us what you really think, Louie. On that show two years ago, Federated Farmers spokesperson Katie Milne told Richard Lowe it wasn't entirely farmers' fault that the system wasn't working. I think we throw away the carrot and get out the stick, don't we? Well, Richard we, Lowe approach. Yeah, oh no, no, none of that stuff in the bottom of the scrum, eh? Now, the other voice you heard there was Sarah Perriam, the producer and co-host of the Rural Exchange Show at the time. And on Media Watch later, she told us that traceability was the next big story, and it wasn't all about Mycoplasma bovis. And everybody put their hands in the air and said, I'm not meant to be policing this. So they're saying about 30% of farmers being non-compliant to Nate. But uh, there's a lot of homework and research still to go in the media around uh, Nate being effective at all. Two years on, tracking and tracing the spread of illness is, of course, a major public preoccupation. Sarah Perriam now has her own daily agribusiness show called Sarah's Country in conjunction with Farmers Weekly. And last Thursday, the head of Nate, Kevin Ford, appeared on her show ahead of moving day. Kevin Ford has said that farmers can learn a lot from the recent COVID-19 emergency and how diseases can be managed more effectively through a sound traceability system. Kevin joins us now. Good evening, sir. Good evening. How are you, sir? Good. I've been looking forward to catching up with you because we've got lots to cover off. And, uh... and in an article in the latest Farmers Weekly, the head of Nate Kevin Ford said traceability was crucial to the post-COVID economic recovery too. He wrote that customers and markets overseas will be more discerning about the integrity of the food they're buying and lifetime traceability of animals needs to become the bedrock of New Zealand farming because, he said, the response to the next global pandemic will depend on it. But with COVID-19 hogging the headlines lately so much, Mycoplasma bovis has gone mostly under the radar in the news, even as farmers prepare to move their herds again this coming week. So, are the mainstream media, and indeed the rural media, on top of this important story? A question I put once again to Sarah Perriam. Oh, 100%. But with anything in news, isn't it? As soon as there's uh, no significant crucial information coming through, it naturally will fold into uh, the background. It is a great milestone, uh, certainly down to 17 properties, getting that estimated uh, dissemination rate now down to 0.4 under the one, which uh, is, is fantastic. And last time we spoke, two years ago, I mean, this was a huge issue. $900 million almost had been budgeted for the eradication effort over 10 years. You know, the huge numbers of animals being culled. There were questions over the, the competence of people overseeing this. It was a really hot issue. Um, some farmers even resisting inspection and testing at their properties. Um, and you said the media was sort of slow to get onto it as a story. But now there seems, as you mentioned, not so much interest. Other rural media, though, uh, all over this. 
always has continued to ensure that we hold uh, our government and our industry bodies to account because of the large amount of money at stake, which is uh, not only government but levy funded money that has been put towards the eradication of Envovis. Um, but naturally, I think credit where credit's due, they certainly were flying by the seat of their pants and it was our biggest uh, biosecurity incursion that we've ever experienced here in New Zealand. And uh, it really exposed uh, the holes in our NATE system. And of course, farmers not being up to speed with their compliance. So naturally, uh, it's been a great thing to showcase to our farming community the need for traceability and to up their game, um, but also at the same time too, the learnings that we have had from the Embovis eradication program that has been taken forward into the COVID-19 response, in particular, the communication failures that happened in Embovis and how COVID-19, uh, they certainly took learnings from that. I interviewed Professor Sean Hendy, as many media have, and uh, Sean did say that to me, that they definitely learnt their failings there. Yet, when speaking to people such as Dr. John Roach, that uh, is a Chief Science Advisor for MPI and, and a brilliant mind at that, uh, I said, well, why aren't we seeing some of these great communication styles like showing us the curve and uh, regularly updating us as in the farming community about where Embovis is, as they have been with COVID. And so, yeah, I don't think that uh, Embovis Eradication Programme has in turn learnt from COVID. Yeah, two years ago, you said to me, you know, traceability is the big issue, the next story, actually. And right right at that point, it was moving day uh, coming up and the eradication efforts had well and truly kicked off. But the non-compliance with Nate uh, that you mentioned there was huge. And one of few mainstream media reports I could find of this was um, TVNZ political reporter Benedict Collins in January uh, reporting on just one prosecution and a $150 fine. I can't quite understand why this isn't a bigger story. There's a lot in that, in that farmers certainly want to comply. Uh, the system wasn't built and it was quite clunky and had a lot of flaws in it. And so therefore extra funding and reserves went into the redevelopment of Nate. But um, a lot of this stuff could have happened a lot earlier. And Sarah, um, the rural media, I wonder, are they as affected by the COVID-19 economic dramas as the mainstream media? We've, we've heard news executives telling Parliament, telling the politicians that their um, advertising income has slumped by between 50 and 70% during the lockdown, possibly picking up a little now. Uh, is it different for you know quite a tightly focused sector like um, the rural media, where I guess there's a lot of specialist advertising that, that still has to go out? Yeah, I mean, certainly over Level 4, there was so much uncertainty with regards to the printing of newspapers, which is a very large part of rural media, and uh, the government coming to play to acknowledge the fact that these weeklies were just as important to dailies, and that was a real bipartisan decision quite quickly, which was welcomed. Uh, in terms of rural radio, uh, certainly they haven't experienced as much in terms of advertising fall as our mainstream media. Uh, however, the likes of the country experienced the loss of radio sport, which was a massive uh, frequency reach for that media. So there's been a lot of interesting different challenges. However, rural media has certainly innovated and pivoted like we're very good at in the farming community to be able to ensure that our audience is always um, at the forefront of what we do. In terms of advertising, it's there's a lot of international 
companies that have New Zealand bases that basically put a freeze on everything all at once and don't understand. The New Zealand local agribusiness companies have certainly realised that uh, there was a more of a business as usual. However, it certainly was just a real state of play like anything whereby there was just so much uncertainty and risk that there was a lot of budgets paused. However, there still is so many challenges facing the industry that it's not about just turning on the tap. Sure, and you think maybe the mainstream media is not really alive to that? Those stories aren't perhaps getting told? They're, they're a little out of, out of sight, out of mind for our mainly kind of, you know, metropolitan mainstream media? Um, to be critical, they always have been. And that's just the nature of the centralisation of media into Auckland. Uh, I experienced it firsthand working on the news floor at MediaWorks. And certainly over my time of 18 months, they've certainly got an education of the importance of it. Um, and I've certainly seen a change and a swing up, uh, to the positive from mainstream media's appreciation of the sector. When I was thinking, uh, looking at the uh, the issue of the non-compliance, going back a year, uh, a story on the newsroom.co.nz website quoting uh, Federated Farmers National Vice President Andrew Hoggard, who, who was talking about how it was easy to get caught out not being compliant with uh, the NATE traceability system. He says, there's so much crap that comes through the mailbox, you don't pay attention to it all as you should. I might have kept assuming I'm registered when I'm not. If there's a whole lot of crap in the in the mailbox, as he put it, that's bad news for farming publications, isn't it? Because they do go out to all farmers. And is that part of the issue that it's actually hard to cut through? There's, there's two faults. And I'm going to um, put my opinion and comments forward from personally what I'm doing, but my partner in Global HQ, which own publications such as Farmers Weekly, which has been a absolute uh, foundation and continues to be of our rural media and print Form. So from that, in terms of print, farmers still love the tangible product and, and the long, in-depth journalism that goes on in those rural newspapers and the, the depth and breadth of those agricultural journalists and analysts uh, that will always be a fabric of, of what we do. However, I have pivoted into an online live daily uh, show broadcast across social media at prime time of seven o'clock and the podcasted elements of that are the hugest numbers that of the whole multimedia distribution strategy that I have and my learnings from that is that we need to be all things to all people and how they want to consume their media in particular a lot of people underestimate the technology um, that farmers have on their farms and have always adapted if they've seen value in it. And my biggest heartening thing in 10 years of, of broadcasting in rural media has been the time that the guy, a guy said to me that he enjoys listening to my show, Bluetooth from his Apple smartwatch to his hearing aid while drafting you. <laughs> oh, yeah, but I was thinking about you actually watching your program online in, in video live uh, when Chris Lewis, I think it is, a, um, a Federated Farmers Dairy rep last year when he was answering awkward questions about non-compliance, he said, look, our broadband is really rough. Uh, sometimes to do my NATE returns, I, I try and do it on the free Wi-Fi when I'm passing Hamilton Airport. That's not so good if you're trying to do a show that's online and specifically in video and going out live um, in the evenings. 
And not only did I do it, I did it at a point where internet was worse than streaming of the World Cup at limits we'd never seen in New Zealand's internet broadband history into rural New Zealand, live video. And I tell you what, it certainly wasn't an issue in certain places, yet my connections with some of my guests in Remuera were dodgy. So that really tells you a lot about for the farmers' value technology, they will invest in it. And some of the smartest farmers and agripreneurs, as we call them, have insured and invested in their own internet networks into their farms. The ones that are going to sit and wait for our large telcos to deliver it for them will always be left behind. And that's just the example of how they treat their business across their business. Sarah Perriam, host of her own daily agribusiness show, Sarah's Country, broadcast in conjunction with Farmers Weekly.